Well, good morning. We're glad that you chose to join with us for worship this morning. Um, I, I heard an interesting definition of worship this week that I, I want to share with you in light of our, our time of worship this morning. Uh, the definition was given that if you want to understand what worship is in the context of Scripture, it's really about attention. Not singing songs, but it's about attention. How much of my time during the week and my attention is spent on my relationship and in worship and in communication with the God that loved me and sent his son to die for me. And I thought that was a really good definition because so many times we get caught up in the activities of our job and the activities of our world and our families and all those things and, and our relationship with God is almost an afterthought. And so I, I'm going to take it upon myself over these next few weeks to just monitor how much of my time is spent in worship and attention to what God is doing around me and in me and through me. So I thought that was a, just a good word of encouragement this morning. Um, just a couple of, of, of housekeeping things. We've got a couple times each month, starting it now into the summer, that we're going to have to go back to the age old, uh, to the days of old where we have to take down each Sunday. And so we're going to put it in the bulletin at the top of the announcements whenever we need to stack chairs, because since the pandemic thing is kind of changing, we can now stack the chairs and then we'll have to put them away. And so this morning is the first of those days, this Sunday and next Sunday, and then we won't have to do it again until towards the end of June. So we'll put that in the announcement. I'll get us back in practice. We'll hear the sound of chairs at the end of, at the end of our time together. Um, a couple other things to draw, uh, just note in your bulletin, just draw your attention to. Uh, Goshen Help is doing a mobile food pantry on the 24th. That will be a week from tomorrow, and they're needing some help uh, just to distribute food to, to families and vehicles as they come through the line. And so if you're available between 11.45 until 2 or 3 in the afternoon or a portion of that period of time, if you'd contact Matt Parker. That's just one of those things that just is a great opportunity for us to, to be the hands and feet of Jesus and minister to, to the needs of our community. And then also the other thing, uh, June 6th, our We Are One Sunday, that's going to be a, a grand family day for the body of Christ. We're going to have a baptism. We have several that want to follow in obedience to the Lord in baptism, uh, child dedication, some um, parents that want to dedicate their kids to the Lord. Uh, we're going to have a, a baptism or a, a barbecue, and then some some games on the on the grass grassy area out here behind afterwards. And we're just we just want to make it a fun family celebration. And so keep that on your calendar. If the Lord's nudging you about either being baptized or dedicating one of your kids to the Lord, or one or more of your kids to the Lord, if you've never done that, uh, just get a hold of the staff or any of the elders and. And we'll be glad to, to work with you. If you're going to be baptized, we're going to have a class um, next Sunday morning at 9 a.m. We're going to do that before the morning service since next Sunday is graduation. And I know there'll be lots of you that, that need to get on and get out, get out to the county graduations. So let's have a word of prayer and we'll get back to another form of worship. Father, thanks for today. Just the beauty and just the coolness in the air. Uh, the rain that we've enjoyed over these last few days. We're just so mindful of how you take care of us. You send rain at the proper time, and, and we're just totally dependent on you. And, and the moisture is a, is a vivid reminder of that. We pray today as we gather together that by your Holy Spirit that you would refresh our hearts, 
that you would just uh, cause your Holy Spirit to teach us and to guide us and to lead us into worship, um, to just draw our attention towards you. And we pray these things in your name. Amen. Hey, good morning, everybody. It's awesome to be together. Um, I love that definition of worship, attention. And we, we all have this hour that, where we can just kind of stop what we're doing, stop thinking about all the busyness of life, and just focus on God right now. So that's my prayer for this morning, that we would just hear from God during this hour. And even, even here, we can be distracted by things. Like, what's going to be, what am I going to eat for lunch? What am I going to do this afternoon? But God, just still our hearts so we can focus on you. So let's stand and worship. Come, let us worship
old praise and worship song I love you Lord if you know it just sing it out I love you Lord and I lift my voice to worship you oh my soul rejoice today God, there's so much in this life that we don't understand. There's so much that we would change if we could. But God, we, we understand that you are the creator. You're the designer. And God, we trust in your plan and your purpose. And God, we worship you be, not because of, of anything that you've given us, but all that you've done, all that you are. God, let us be people that are worshipers, that have our attention on you. God, let us be aware of your, your presence in our lives each and every day. We just thank you for this time and just speak to our hearts, God, and uh, meet us where we are and where we, where we need to be today. In your name we pray, amen. As we pick up our series in the book of, of Judges this morning, I, I, want, I know there are certain of you in the, in, our, in the body today that are analytical like I am, and lots of you that are great students of the Bible. And so if you want to turn to your notes in your bulletin, you'll notice that I made an error. So much for being a perfect pastor. If you look under the passage on top, it says Ruth 4 and 5. How many chapters does the book of Ruth have? Four. I knew that I could count on you. <clears throat> so anyway, I use a template from week to week when I'm in a series, and, 
And since we were in the book of Ruth last week, I didn't make that change. And, and the, bulletin, the bulletin printers did exactly what I said. <laughs> so, so anyway, we're in a book of Judges. And so you can make that correction if you want. I'm going to make a couple of comments as we begin this morning just about the testimonies from last weekend. Um, and if you, if you weren't here last weekend and, and weren't able to hear those, I would encourage you to get online and do those and listen to them. Uh, Sandy and Corrine and Josie. And the one thing that struck me as I listened to those last weekend is really, it's really my prayer for us as a church. In each of those testimonies, at a moment of great need and sense of loss, each of the ladies shared there was a friend. There was a friend. There was somebody that God had placed at that point, at that particular period of time, that came alongside them and helped them at their point of need. And as a church, that's my prayer for us. It's wonderful to be able to get together on Sunday mornings and there's just an energy of being together. But the reality is the ministry of the body of Christ takes place from about 11.15 till next Sunday morning at 10 o'clock. And that's as we rub shoulders with those people that God has put within our sphere of influence, as we're attentive to the needs and the cries and the hurts of their heart. We don't have to know this book by heart. We just have to be available. We have to be not self-absorbed in our own world, we have to be aware of what's being spoken and the, the hurts of the heart that are being expressed. And we just need to be sensitive to speak a word of hope when we, when we encounter those people. And it's my desire and it's my prayer from, from the very beginning of the time that I have been pastor here that, that that would be the predominant characteristic of Sunrise. There would be a friend. We're going to pick back up in the book of Judges this morning, and I want to, I want to start by just giving a, giving a little bit of, a, of an object lesson, because I think it's important just not only because of the time of year we're in, but, but because the, the book of Judges is so good about, about pointing this out. Uh, we talked nearly every week that we've been in this series about the continuing cycle that the nation of Israel was in how they would walk along and be faithful for, to God for a while, and then they would fall into sin, and God would judge them, and then they'd cry out, and he'd come back and rescue them. And I want to read for you just a couple of, of passages, just verses that, that describe that process. Uh, Judges chapter 3, verse 7 is the first one. It says, The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. They forgot the Lord their God and served the Baals and the Asherahs. And then down to verse 12 of that same chapter, Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and because they, because they did this evil, the Lord gave Eglon, king of Moab, power over Israel. And in the opening verse of chapter 4 that we're going to look at this morning, the same thing again. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, now that Ehud, who was the judge, was dead. And it's easy as we go through this book to look at the children of Israel and, and think to ourselves, we probably would never say it out loud. How, how could they be so foolish? 
How could they be so short-sighted? How could their memories be so short that, that they forgot about all the miracles that God performed and, and even the miraculous interventions that God had done with previous judges? How, how could they so quickly and so easily fall back in to idol worship? I'm going to give you an object lesson this morning. This is not an ill-conceived slingshot, so don't worry about that. Okay? The one tool that Satan uses very effectively in our lives is that he wants us to believe that we are inherently good. That within our being and within our, our soul, that we're inherently good. And when we do things, then do things wrong, then that's kind of that's out of character. But the reality is, much like this, this string that has tension on it. We are held by our fallen nature. We all have a sin nature. And that is our default. When, when God is not in control, when the Holy Spirit is not in control, when, when we do not, when we're not walking in salvation in the power of the shed blood of Jesus, this is our default. The, the, the little strings that hold this, this thing in tension in this center place, those are like the fibers of the fallen nature within each of our lives. And it's only as an outside power beyond ourselves intervenes in that sinful nature that we can move beyond this place. And what we don't recognize is that even as believers, if we're not walking in the power of the Holy Spirit and we're not interacting in a relationship with God on a regular basis and, and we take a few days off or take a few months off from that relationship and we think, it's going to be status quo. No. The default is we fall back under the control of the fallen nature. And that's exactly what happened to the children of Israel. Time and time and time again, as, as God intervened and they turned their attention towards God once again and they bowed down in humility and confession before Him, then they became under the power of, of God and His Holy Spirit as expressed in the Old Testament and they walked faithfully before God but as time went by, complacency set in, the relationship waned, and they moved back to their default, which is walking in the power of the fallen nature. Romans chapter 6 says that there's only two options. The mind governed by the flesh is dead, is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. Anything left to itself in our lives, we're going to migrate back to that fallen nature. Even though as believers, that nature's been put to death with Christ on the cross, let the rem yet the remnants and the influence of that remains as long as we remain in this earthly body. And we have to keep that in mind. And I think it's especially appropriate as we, as, that we think about that as we embark on, on this summer season. I know for most of you, it's going to be just like our family. Uh, we spent last summer on pause. And we couldn't go places, and we couldn't do things, and we had to stay home, and that doesn't suit us well. And so this summer, I'm guessing for most of you that there's lots of activities on the line. And that's awesome. That's great to spend time and, and do things together as families and visit people. But the reality is, we can't take a vacation from our relationship with God. Because if we remove ourselves from the influence of that relationship, we migrate back automatically. That's our default towards that fallen nature. 
And so this summer, as you're traveling, as you're camping, as you're doing those things that, that are very much a part of a vibrant family and friendships, remember to keep in the Word, to remain with God's people. In our, in our time, we have really no excuse to not have input from the Word of God. You can get a verse a day. You can get a devotion a day. You can get emails sent to you. It's easy to stay in contact in a relationship with God even when you can't gather together with God's people on a regular basis. And so that's my encouragement from the children of Israel. They fell away because they did not remain secure and diligent about their relationship with Christ. And I pray that we will not allow that to happen either. There's a uniqueness about this story of Deborah. Deborah is the only one of the judges in, in the accounts in the book of Judges that was a woman. And, and there's much to be made about that, and you hear lots of theological arguments one way or another about that. But the reality is, and what I want to focus on this morning, is that this really is not about gender. This is about someone that was committed to a relationship and walking in obedience with God. We know that the role of women in Old Testament times is very different than what it is today. That they were pretty much ascribed to the place of, of moms and wives. They did not have a, a, a natural standing within the leadership. We all know that, that women are very capable, but it was not the cultural norm for a woman to be in a place of leadership. And so as we look at, at Deborah this morning, it, it's interesting that, that the characteristics that we see in her life and, and in how God used her, it really has nothing to do with gender. It has to do with obedience and a heart inclined towards God. If you turn your attention to Judges chapter 4 and verse 4, we see the first description of Deborah. It says, Now Deborah, a prophet, the wife of Lapidoth, was leading Israel at that time. She held court under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim, and the Israelites went up to her to have their disputes decided. She was a prophet. There's seven women in Scripture that are defined or described as prophets. There are many others, depending on how you define that, that could also fall under that category, but there's seven that, that Scripture specifically mentions. Deborah and Huldah was wandering King Josiah's reign. Anna, that was, prophet, was a prophet around the time of Jesus' birth. And then Philip in the book of Acts had four daughters that were ascribed to be prophets. And so not a very large group, but yet God used them. One thing we have to remember is that the, the office of prophet in, in scriptural times was not just about telling the future. The, a prophet was a foreteller, telling the future, but also a foreteller, someone that, that heard a word or a message from God and was willing to proclaim that to the people or whoever needed to hear it. And so the first thing we see that Deborah was that that she was one that, that heard regularly from God and that she had a relationship with the God of Israel and she was willing to share and to tell and spread forth that information that God gave her to whoever needed to hear. The second thing we see is that she was a wife. She fulfilled the, the role of being a wife. She had a husband and the responsibilities that, that went alongside that. She was also a mother. 
In the next chapter, Judges chapter 5, verse 7, in her psalm of praise, she said, until I arose a mother in Israel. She had kids. She had the responsibilities of a mother. And then the last thing we read in that fourth and fifth verse is that she was a judge. She was a judge in Israel. We're going to talk more about how that happened and what that meant. But you have to understand from the very beginning, number one, it was unusual for a woman to be in leadership. She was also a judge in Israel, and she was not a military person. As you look through the rest of the pages and and look at the rest of the judges in this book, the majority of them had a military background. They had the ability to fight with an army or lead an army or or go forth in a war-type situation, and they were used to and comfortable with that. Deborah was none of those things. And yet we see that the children of Israel went to where she was to get her insight so that she could settle disputes and she could help them with the problems that they encountered. The name Deborah in, in, in the Hebrew has an interesting meaning. The meaning is honeybee. Honeybee. What's the characteristic of a honeybee? A honeybee is, is, a, is a creature that is constantly in motion, but there's an orderliness about that motion. There's no wasted effort. There's no idle time. And, and as you look at these four areas in which Deborah spent her life, it would require her to be that way, orderly motion. So we find at the beginning of this account that, that Jabin, king of Canaan, uh, the Canaanites, had taken Israel captive. And for 20 years, he had cruelly oppressed them had put them into slavery and and had killed their people and had ravaged their crops and all the things that that oppression meant. He had 900 chariots, Scripture tells us, which in that time was a significant military advantage over foot soldiers, which the nation of Israel had. And so we enter the story by finding out what God's plan was for the deliverance of Israel from these 20 years of oppression. Chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, God speaks to Deborah. She sent for Barak, son of Abinoam, from Kadesh and Naphtali, and said to him, The Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, Go, take with you 10,000 men of Naphtali and Zebulun, and lead them up to Mount Tabor. I will lead Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his troops to the Kishon River, and give him into your hands. That was the plan. Deborah had heard from God, and in faithfulness and faithfully proclaiming her office as a prophet, the calling as a prophet, uh, she went to the commander of the Lord's army and said, this is what God said to do. Take your army. We're going to go up there. I'm going to lead Sisera and his troops into you, and God's going to deliver us. That's God's plan. But Barak was not so certain. Verse 8, Deborah gets a little bit of pushback. Barak said to her, if you go with me, I will go, but if you don't go with me, I won't go. I'm not willing to take your word for the fact that God has spoken to you. I want you to have some skin in the game. I want you to put your life on the line if you want me and my troops to put my life on the line. And I think in that statement of Barak, there is an indication of what was happening in Israel. And that was a lack of leadership. 
that there were people that were, were there and certainly capable of being used by God, but they were unwilling to hear from God and therefore limited in any ability to lead an army or even a nation. And so there was some pushback. And you can understand, Deborah was not a military person, and she was, had heard the word of God, and she said, take your army into battle. And, and so Barak, I'm sure, was a little concerned about what the outcome might be. And so he said to her, if you go, I'll go. If you don't go, I'm not going to go. And so her response was part of God's provision in verse 9. Certainly I will go with you, said Deborah, but because of the course you are taking, the honor will not be yours for the Lord will deliver a Sisera into the hands of a woman. So the consequence of his disbelief and, and not being willing to, to go along with what Deborah had told him that God had said, Deborah said, the hero in this story is not going to be you. It's going to be a woman. And of course, one would naturally think, well, it's going to be Deborah because she's the one who heard the word of the Lord. As we find out this, as the story unfolds, that's not the case. That's not the case at all. So what was the plan? We find early on in, in the account of the battle that, that God, before any of this occurred, before he gave the word to Deborah, had begun to lay the groundwork for the victory and the ultimate victory in this battle. In verse 11, we see the name of a man named Heber the Kenite, who doesn't mean anything significant to us. But the significant part is that this was a man and a family that was loyal to the king of Canaan. It was somebody that the king knew that he could count on, that the army, the leaders of the army knew that they could count on. And it tells us in verse 11 that he had moved away from that place that he lived in the midst of Canaan and had pitched his tent somewhere else. His allegiance had changed, and we find that that was part of God's provision for this battle, a secret ally. And then Deborah goes on to say, in verses 14 through 16. Then Deborah said to Barak, Go, this is the day the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. Has not the Lord gone ahead of you? So Barak went down Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. And at Barak's advance, the Lord routed Sisera and all of his chariots and the army by the sword. And Sisera got down from his chariot and fled on foot. I love the statement in that, in those verses has not the Lord gone ahead of you? When we get around to praying, when we get around to coming before the Lord and, and laying our request before Him, God has gone before us. Many times a provision for that answer to prayer has been months, weeks, years in the making. God was, is so far out ahead of us by the time that we get worried and concerned to begin to pray. Here's the case exactly the, the case here in this story as well. So how was the army routed? How was the army defeated? They went up on Mount Tabor. That was a, a, an elevated place. The army of Sisera came down the Kishon River in the, in the riverbed. What's the weakness of chariots? Chariots don't do well in the hill country. Chariots don't do well in the mud. And we find from the song of Deborah that that was part of God's provision for this battle. In Judges chapter 5, verse 4, 
When you, Lord, went out from Seir, when you marched from the land of Eden, the earth shook, the heavens poured, the clouds poured down water. And verse 20, from the heavens the stars fought, from their courses they fought against Sisera, the river Kishon swept them away. And so when you see the picture of these chariots that were so powerful on hard, dry ground that became weak and helpless and mired in the mud, that was God's provision, the great equalizer for this battle. And the Israelite army was able to rout the Canaanites. We're told in verse 16 that, that Barak pursued the chariots and the army far off from the battlefield, and all of his troops fell by the sword. Not a single man was left. A complete and total victory. But Sisera himself saw that the end was near, and so he fled. Fled on foot, had to leave his chariot there in the mud to find a place of protection. And where did he go? He went to the place, the home of his ally, or so he thought. Jabin, or Heber, the, the Kenite. And as he came to the tent, he was greeted by Heber's wife, Jael. And he said, I need a place to hide. She said, come on in. She took him in. She hid him under a blanket. He wanted something to drink, and so she gave him some milk to drink. He covered himself up with the blanket and told her to stand at the door of the tent, and if anybody comes, tell them I'm not here. I'm hiding. And as he lay there in the quietness and in what he perceived to be a safe place, Jael took a tent peg from one of the tents and a mallet and drove it through his temple as he slept. It was God's provision for the final victory. And I love the fact that the scripture is always very clear. She drove a peg through his temple into the ground, and he died, as one might expect. And so the significance of that is that that is a complete and total fulfillment of the prophecy that Deborah gave to Barak. The hero in this story is not going to be you. It's going to be a woman. And in this case, it wasn't Deborah. It was Jael that God had placed at that place at that time. We find that because of this battle, that Israel was able to subdue and defeat the Canaanites, and they enjoyed 40 years of peace because of this battle and because of the Lord's provision. And in chapter 5, we see the song of praise of Deborah. Let me read for you three or four verses from that. On that day, Deborah and Barak, son of Abinoam, sang this song. When the princes in Israel take the lead, when the people willingly offer themselves, praise the Lord. Hear this, you kings. Listen, you rulers. I, even I, will sing to the Lord. I will praise the Lord, the God of Israel, in song. And in verse 31, so may all your enemies perish, Lord, but may all who love you be like the sun. When it rises in a strength, then the land had peace 40 years. The story ends with a song of praise. As I close this morning, I want to talk about some observations that we can draw from Deborah. Some things that, that the text does not specifically say, but we know from experience that they had to be in place or she wouldn't have had the influence that she had. 
First of all, her relationship with the people of Israel. How did Deborah come to be the judge of Israel? There wasn't a succession plan. She wasn't a military leader. Judges weren't elected or by a majority vote. She was non-military. She had no experience. She had no ability to wage war or deliver Israel. She was judging Israel during this 20-year period of time in which they were under the cruel, oppressive hand of the Canaanites. How did she arrive at being a judge? She arrived there because of her relationship and her reputation with the people of Israel. Because you see, it's natural for people to migrate to where they perceive somebody to be a leader. And leaders are established not by titles, but by reputation, by a consistency of action and word and deed. Deborah led by reputation long before she assumed the title of judge. In order for the people to go to her or come to her, we're told that she lived in the hill country of Ephraim, that they had to go there. That was most of the people lived in the flatlands on the plain. And so it took effort for them to go there, but they were willing to do that because of the reputation she had of giving sound judgment and wise advice and fair decisions. Reputation. You see, leadership is earned more so than it is bestowed. Just because someone has a title doesn't make them a leader. A leader is established when people's confidence is drawn to them because of the consistency of their life and their testimony. I have a quote from Colin Powell that I've had on my desk for several years. And it, it just struck me because it, 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 it speaks exactly to what Deborah was. This is his quote. Colin Powell, remember a former um, Joint Chiefs of Staff chairman. The day people stop bringing you their problems is the day you have stopped leading them. People don't take their problems to people they don't perceive to be able to help them or to lead them. And so we find in this story of Deborah that she was judging and leading Israel because of the consistency of her walk and her testimony and her judgments and her decisions. The other thing I find in this passage about Deborah that's significant to me is that we find that those things that, that the people saw in terms of her leadership ability was based on and founded on her relationship with God. See, if in order for Deborah to be a prophet, and in order for her to hear the word of the Lord and have the confidence to share that word with whoever she needed to share it with, that didn't come from once a year going down to Jerusalem and offering sacrifices for the Passover. That came from a vibrant daily relationship and conversation with Jehovah God. That was the source of her life and testimony. Telling the message that God has spoken to you. That has nothing to do with gender. That has to do with a faithful 
pursuit of a relationship with God. 2 Chronicles 16, verse 9 says this, For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to Him. Those that walk in a relationship with God are willing and able and confident to share what God has shared with them. I always encourage people when they come up and, and, and share or when they talk to their friends, don't be afraid to tell people what God has put on your heart. Share your heart. Because if you're walking in a relationship with Him, He's putting His Spirit and His words into your heart for the purpose of sharing. Yeah, it helps us grow and it encourages us, but we don't know who God may put in our path that needs to hear those words. And that was the source of Deborah's strength, was her relationship with God. And then the other thing that I find significant about Deborah is because of that relationship with God, she was a woman of worship. A woman of worship. As you look through the pages of this book, Deborah is the only judge that took the time and the effort to write a song of praise and worship for what God had accomplished. None of the rest of the judges did that. But she saw it significant that God received the glory for what had happened so that none of that was deferred or spent on her or Barak either one. A relationship characterized by worship. There's so many good things in, in, this, in this passage. You know, we, we see the, the cruelty of warfare and, and death and all those things, but we cannot lose sight of the fact that, that these Bible characters are men and women just like us. We like to put them in a category that, that it was different times and, and different circumstances and, and, and it, to stand for God and to speak for God. It's way different now. No, it's not. God hasn't changed. The condition of, this, of our hearts haven't changed. It's just we need to have the confidence of a relationship, a daily abiding relationship with God. And that enables us to speak words of encouragement and enables us to worship and be attentive to God in our daily lives. I pray that that would be our testimony. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the words of, in the life of Deborah this morning. Just the evidence that we see in her of, of what kind of relationship she had with you. Not one that was hit or miss, not one that was on or off, but one that was consistent. And the consistency of her relationship with you was played out in her relationship and reputation with the people that came to her. She couldn't be a wise and just judge unless she was in tune with and walking in relationship with the wise and the just God. And I pray, Father, that you would just encourage each of us today, first of all, to keep our relationship with you fresh and vivid so that we don't fall back in to our default of our sinful nature. And then, Father, may we be people that are characterized by worship. That we'd be attentive to you, that our minds would be on you throughout the day, 
recognizing your faithfulness in our lives. And I pray these things in your name. Amen. As I was going through my notes this morning, as I often do, uh, Saturday night, you, after you hear a lot of these things come out of your mouth once, you go home and you think, yeah, I should have said that. No, I shouldn't have said that. And so you kind of get a chance to. And something struck me that I, that I hadn't that I hadn't noticed before. And as we prepare our hearts for communion this morning, I want to I share that with you. There's a parallel between the story of Deborah and what we celebrate at the Lord's table this morning. A parallel of a story. See, the story of, of us as human beings is that humanity was living under the cruel oppression of sin. Sin within each one of us that we were powerless to stop. Sin that ravaged and took away and stole the good things that God had given. And yet, just as Deborah said in her provision, has not the Lord gone ahead of you? God did exactly that thing as he affected our salvation. God's plan of salvation was in place long before any of us were born or even had any thoughts of God. God had gone before us. How was God's plan of, of salvation told or revealed? The same way that Israel's salvation was revealed in this, in this passage, through the mouths of the prophets. Micah tells us, but you, Bethlehem, Ephrathath, though you were small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. In the words of the prophet. Prophet Isaiah, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing it and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. In the words of the prophet Deborah, has not the Lord gone ahead of you? What we celebrate before us is God's provision that he revealed and put in place long before we need, knew that we needed a Savior. But God demonstrated his love towards us in that, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In Christ's death and ultimate resurrection, he routed the enemies of God in the same way that God allowed Barak and his armies to rout the armies of the Canaanites. Our enemies are sin and death, those things that, that we have no power over. But the sacrifice of Christ on the cross that we celebrate at this table removes the penalty of our sin before a holy God and also the power of sin in our lives, the ability to move us away from the default of our fallen nature to walk in a place that is pleasing and right with the holy God. 
In the same manner that Deborah's ongoing relationship with God was her strength and confidence, God knew that we needed to be reminded often of the significance of His love and Christ's sacrifice so that we don't drift away, so that we don't fall back in to complacency. So this morning as we come to this table together, I pray that we'll remember the great love of God. The fact that God didn't have to do any of this. Just as He didn't have to deliver Israel, He didn't have to send His Son to die. He owed us nothing. And yet He spared nothing in order to reconcile us to Him. May we remember the great sacrifice of Christ. His death on the cross. The power granted to us through the blood of Christ a power in the blood of Christ that takes us from standing under the condemnation of God. Like Isaiah says in chapter 6, he looks upon God's face and he says, Woe is me, I'm undone. I'm, a whole, I'm unholy and I've seen the holy God. That blood takes us to a place in Hebrews where it tells us, Come boldly before the throne of grace. Because of my blood that was shed, you can come boldly before my holiness because you're clothed in the righteousness of Christ. As we come to this table this morning, it's an act of worship. It's an act of turning our attention fully upon what God has done and what he has accomplished. We welcome you this morning if you place your faith in Christ to join with us at this table. It's not about a denomination or a fellowship. It's about a relationship. What we've talked about with Deborah if you placed your faith and trust in Christ, if you recognized his sacrifice and your inability to please a holy God on your own and ask him to be your Lord and your Savior, then this is a celebration for you, and we invite you to come as we celebrate together. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. I just pray that as we examine ourselves, as we kneel and humbly pray before you, and come and worship you and acknowledge you in your death and sacrifice. Would you be pleased with our worship this morning? Would you reveal and make yourself real and powerful in our lives? And remind us again of your love, your sacrifice, and that you've made every provision for us. And I pray these things in your name. Amen. Come as you feel led this morning.
stand and sing this closing song together. In this time of desperation, and in this time of desperation, when all we know is doubt and fear, there is only So um, this is Libby Schaefer. Everybody say hi to Libby. Yeah. Hi. 
And, and Kai Gates, uh, I just met Kai the last few weeks. Um, Libby graduated from, or is graduating from Morrill High School, and uh, Kai is graduating from Lingle. So um, we just, you know, we, we want to be intentional as we send out students into the crazy world that we live in. And it's kind of cool because you guys are both going to EWC. I'll let you, I'll let you guys tell them. So I actually graduated yesterday, so that was fun. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm going to EWC next year. I'm majoring in vet tech, and I'll, I got a full ride scholarship to play basketball. So, so I'm Kai. I'm graduating next Sunday, and I'm also going to EWC. I'm majoring in ag business, and I'm going to college rodeo and be on the livestock team. So our prayer for you guys is that you, like, like Pastor Brent said, that you guys would stay close to God because it's just easy to fall away. It's easy to get sucked into just the, the craziness of our world. And so uh, we hope to, you guys aren't strangers. Come, come hang out with us. So let's pray for these guys. Um, Lord, we just join our hearts together for, um, for Kai and for Libby, Lord, and we just pray for uh, wisdom for them. We just pray for direction that you'd go before them and behind them, beside them, protect them, and uh, and just help them to to stay close to you wherever they they go. That as they pursue their dreams and and use their gifts, that they would also remember where those things come from. And we just uh, we just appreciate so much the chance to to get to walk alongside. Um, these students and just see them do amazing things. And so I know that both of these guys are going to do amazing things. And so we just pray for them and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you're dismissed. Have a great week.